Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles. Would you open them to John chapter 10, the Gospel of John chapter 10, in this series we're calling With, and this in particular Bible study I've entitled, The Church Needs Shepherds and Not Hirelings. You know, Jesus entered into the first century culture that was filled with competing voices. There was a lot of people saying a lot of things and expressing a lot of opinions. Of course, there was the voice of paganism and materialism. There were the voices of selfishness and pride. There were the voices even religiously. There were loud voices that are highlighted in the Bible that centered on the religion, on Judaism, and the worship of the one true God. It was unfortunate because the religion of Judaism was hijacked by a group of Pharisees and Sadducees and lawyers that we have commonly referred to as the religious rulers. And they had so misrepresented God by the time Jesus comes on the scene. Remember, Jesus is God in human flesh. And he's come to set the record straight. To, to declare repentance and require it. And to invite people into a relationship with him. So his voice is louder than paganism. And his voice is clearer than materialism. Even as it is today. So here we are separated by all of these years. But our culture is filled with voices you know, the only difference I would say is that the delivery mechanism of the voices today is a lot more, is a lot easier and, and a lot more uh, prevalent and it's in your back pocket and it's not just, you know, they didn't have television, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have phones, cell phones, they, they didn't, they had different means of communication and can you imagine the way that voices come through today? through YouTube and through radio and television, the internet, cable and all kinds of things. But it's not unlike the first century that people have hijacked that true worship of God even today. You know, to the religious rulers of the day, Jesus said this, jot it down in Matthew 23, verse 15. One of the things he said to them was, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Because their motive was to have people follow them and not God. And they did all this in the name of God. They were taking advantage of the people. Laying heavy burdens on them. Drawing many after themselves. Remember back in chapter 9 of John's gospel, it says in verse 40 that some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Chapter 10 is a part of the answer to these Pharisees asking if they're blind. He's talking to some of the religious rulers right now. And he says in verse 3, as he's talking about the shepherd of the sheep, he says, to him the doorkeeper opens... This is John chapter 10 now. And the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So in all the competing voices of then and now, 
How is it that we understand the voice of God? Well, we understand the voice of God by tuning our ears to the shepherd, that we know his voice and we hear it and he follows us as he calls us to himself. And when he brings us out, verse four, it says that we follow him and we stay close to him. See, not only can we recognize the voice of our shepherd, but we also know our shepherd goes before us and he leads us. I mean, if you really want to know the voice of the shepherd, you need to read the Bible. The Bible represents the voice of God. And if you want to hear the voice of the shepherd out loud, read your Bible out loud. And you will hear the very words of God right there in your room, right there where you're reading it. The voice of God trains us, uh, the reading of the Bible trains us to understand the voice of God. Now I know in this section of the shepherd and the sheep, a sheep hear the shepherd's voice, it's many times referred to, to like a local church or a local pastor where you might be listening to the radio, Grace FM, and you go, you know, I really like this pastor's teachings more than this pastor's teachings. And then you might say, well, that makes sense because sheep hear the shepherd's voice. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is teaching that the shepherd has one voice And you're either speaking with that voice or you're not speaking with that voice. But he's not talking about a local pastor. So I'm not your shepherd. Jesus Christ is your shepherd. And you want to train your ears to hear his voice, not my voice. It's not what I say that matters. It's what I say that matches to the shepherd's voice that matters. And I don't want you to follow me in that sense. I don't want to turn you into a disciple of me. I want to teach you how to hear the shepherd's voice. I want to teach you like, like you and I would know the word of God so well that if Ed does say something, you go, I don't know, that doesn't quite sound like the shepherd. Then you would compare what I say with what the Bible says and you would be able to say, yes, yes, that's exactly, that sounds like God. So many times that gift of discernment comes to me when I'm listening to someone, I'm like, you know, that doesn't quite sound like God. You go, well, how do you know what God sounds like? How do you know how God acts? From his word. You know, when I'm studying the gospels, when I'm feeling like a need to, when I'm sensing in my life a need to get reoriented, I like going back to the gospels. No matter where I'm reading in my daily reading, I like to go back to the gospels because the gospels reminds me not only of the teachings of Jesus, but how he did things. Like you can actually watch his life and how he chose to deal with this situation. How he chose to deal with that situation. How he chose not to deal with that situation. How instead of pressing in, you know, sometimes you think always pressing in, pressing in. Do you know there were times where Jesus pulled back? He said, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to deal with these people. I'm not getting involved in this. And, and, And there was that one point in his ministry where the Bible says that Jesus didn't commit himself to them because he knew all people. And there was that time where you go, no, I just need to back out. I'm not going to jump into this. Uh, They might have a problem, but their problem is not going to be my problem. Where did I learn that? From Jesus. There were times when he did that. And I want to hear his voice. And I want to follow his lead. Sheep, we don't know the voice of strangers, even though the voice of strangers is always coming at us. I mean, I'm getting emails all the time. I get this email, when is this? And what about this? And this YouTube link and this Facebook thing and all this stuff, voice, voice, voice. It's not like you don't hear it. It's that you don't receive it. Like, I can't tell you how many times and, and, and I, I hope it doesn't come off rude because I'm not being rude, but someone will send me a link and can you listen to this 60 minute me- uh, message and tell me what you think? And my answer is no. 
I can't. I don't have time to listen to all these messages. That's why I don't choose to listen to them in the beginning. I don't, I don't, need, I don't want to. So basically I would say, what was it in there that they said that I can tell you what I think about what they said? And then usually it'll be some question. I'm like, well, here, here's what the Bible says. I don't need to spend 60 minutes to figure out this is what the Bible says on what you have a concern about. And so we, it's not like you don't hear the voice of strangers, but you've got to understand the voice of strangers are going to come. And, and when he says strangers, it's like people leading you away from truth in the name of God somehow. Like uh, we come from God, but we're not going to lead you to the shepherd. We're going to lead you to our own little deal, our own little theory, our own little opinion. And sheep says, we, Jesus says, we don't know the voice of strangers. It's like we're, we don't receive it. It's not like we can't hear it. We just don't receive it. And a lot of things you don't have to hear at all. You don't have to click that YouTube video. You don't have to listen to that study that someone sent you uh, because it stumbled them. It doesn't have to stumble you. Just like, hey, I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. I'm going to keep serving him. Uh, I don't have time to watch this because I'm going down to the hospital and I'm going to go pray for the nurse. Like you, you can be so caught up in following the shepherd's voice that you don't have to listen to the voice of strangers and you don't have to receive them. So with that in mind, we kind of covered a lot of that last time, but with that in mind, let's pick up where we left off in verse seven of John chapter 10, where it says, Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We learned last time that the sheepfold was a round enclosure, about six feet high, and the door was just an opening where the owner of the sheepfold would lay in front of it and none of the sheep or anyone could get in and out. Now, people could climb the fence, they could cause a ruckus, they could come the wrong way, but those, that, those would not be representative of the shepherd. Those are thieves and liars and robbers, like Jesus says. And Jesus says that in the opening of this sheepfold, he literally is the door. The only way to come into this sheepfold is through Jesus Christ. There are not two ways or three ways. There are not five right ways. There's only one way, and it's through him. But when you think of this from the perspective of a shepherd and a sheep, like the shepherd literally being the door, it speaks of the protection and the care of the shepherd. Like with the shepherd being at the door, the, the shepherd taking care of my life, that means at the door he's, protect, he's there close enough to protect me. He's watching out for me. He's guarding me. He's defending us. So not only does he lead us and call us and take care of us and communicate with us, when we are at a time of needing rest, what does he do? He is the door. And we can sleep well at night because he's going to take care of us when we're awake. He's going to take care of us when we're asleep and resting. And then he says, of course, to some of the religious rulers, he says, everybody that came before me were a bunch of robbers. They're not the door. They say they're the door, but they're not the door. They say their religion is the way to go, but it's not the way. I'm the door. I'm the door, and everyone that came before are not doors. And there were many then and many today saying that they're the way, the truth, and the life. It's amazing. Many declaring that they're the ones, that they're, they're Messiah. 
Men and women who choose to draw others after themselves. Now they may not even, they may not go so far to declare that they're the way to salvation. But let me tell you something. Over the years, we have met many, many people that have tried to come into this fellowship family and pick people off. And unfortunately, sometimes they're successful drawing people after themselves. And why do they come to a church? Because a church is filled with genuine, sincere men and women that want to worship God. And so they come in, Jesus described them as what? Wolves in sheep's clothing. It doesn't take long to learn the Christian lingo. There's not too many words. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Amen. You even learn one in the last song. Sing a hallelujah. We can sing all, we can use all the Christian lingo. Look at that big Bible you have. You must be a great Christian. And look at the cross that you, there's a lot that you could do outwardly that could mask the ravenous, wolf-like qualities because wolves around sheep they're not friends wolves do one thing with sheep eat them and that's it they wreak havoc in sheep's lives and we've had many many it's one of the shepherd's responsibility is to protect this flock from wolves and it's never easy and it's never fun but it's always necessary and Jesus says these thieves and robbers they still come around. I remember, you can jot it down in Acts chapter 20. I remember when Paul is last time speaking to the, church, the elders in Ephesus, he says, I know on my departure, people are going to come in and try to destroy you. And he said even this, the sad part is, even from among yourselves, men will rise up. And it happens. And it's true. But the good news about a strong, healthy church is that a healthy church purges out purges out its own poisons like it keeps a healthy church keeps the church healthy and purges out where it is obvious to many that that guy isn't right something's up with him she isn't quite she isn't walking around with the mind of Christ and a healthy mature believer will go and speak to that person it's not just the pastors but a healthy church takes care sheep take care of sheep and the shepherds take care of the sheep and oversee them. Thieves and robbers, they still come around today. They use sheep talk to get in close, trying to gain favor. But what they really want is control and prominence. Turn over with me, would you, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's going to be to the right, 2 Timothy chapter 3. When you get there, go to verse 6 with me. As Paul is describing to young Timothy, this pastor, to watch out. 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 6. He says in the last days, pick up actually in verse 1. Let's look at verse 1 in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households, making captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, 
always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Then he names a couple guys, Jans and Jambres, going back to Moses. In the New Living Translation, it speaks of taking advantage of the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt of sin and controlled by many desires. Now the emphasis here is not on the issue of women. The emphasis here is in the, con- the guilt and concern of sin when it comes that it's unconfessed and puts people in a vulnerable place. The gullibility or the vulnerability that people have that don't know the truth, that are taking advantage of these types of people in the last days. These type of people worm their way into houses of the unsuspecting and they get in by trickery and by stealth and by false pretenses. And they bring confusion and false doctrine. Always learning, but always studying, always talking about, but never teaching the truth. And they never really come to know the truth and lead people in their error as well. Thieves and robbers, they exist today. You see the contrast between a real shepherd that will point you to the ways of the Lord and not themselves. Notice, In verse 10 now, he gets a little bit focused. He says, the thief. The thief does not come except to, and here are three things that the thief always does. And really there's a twofold application here. The thief is referring to anyone but the shepherd, anyone that comes in the wrong way, anyone that doesn't, isn't the door. But the thief, when you use that word the thief, is I believe a reference to the devil himself and everyone that cooperates with the diabolical schemes of the devil. The devil only has these goals in mind. Number one, it says the thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. So you could say that the devil, his motive is to take from you. To to take from you that which was not his. That's why he has to climb over the wall. That's why he has to be stealth. That's why he has to be deceptive. That's why he doesn't come even mess with the door. Because he knows that if he messed with the door, Jesus would shut it down. So he comes around the, right, comes around the back way. And he's, so in contrast, Jesus says in verse 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So wolves, robbers, thieves, their motives are to destroy they want to rip you off. They, want to, they bring destruction into your life and ultimately just want to kill you. And I believe the ultimate goal of the devil is to end your physical life. To get you to a place where you're so hopeless, so out of control, that your life ends and no longer can fulfill the purposes for which God put you on the earth. However, the devil will take anything you give him. His goal is to ultimately destroy you, but he'll take anything you give him, anything. He'll take anything you offer, which is why it is never a good idea to negotiate with the devil. It's another way of putting it. It's never a good idea to live in any form of compromise spiritually, ever. Even in the name of freedom. Even in the name of, but I'm free in Christ. Okay, so you're free in Christ. But it still doesn't mean it's wise to play the game, to live life on the devil's terms. And I know this isn't very popular. I I don't get a lot of positive email on this stance and I don't care. I don't care because I'm telling you from personal experience. 
It is never a good idea to take the first drink of alcohol. Never, never a good idea. There isn't one instance you could tell me it would be a good idea in the culture in which we live to take the first drink. Neither is it a good idea to take the first hit of that marijuana cigarette. Never. It's never a good idea. But, but Ed, but Ed, it's legal and I'm free in Christ. All things are lawful for me. Yeah, and it's amazing what compromise only takes half the verse. All things are lawful for me, but not all things build me up. It's never wise to take that first bite of the brownie and however they're delivering drugs these days. It's never a good idea to take that line of coke. It's never a good idea. I mean, even to, to start to be deceptive with your parents. It's like, well, I'm gonna go to a party, but I'm actually gonna tell my parents I'm gonna be over here. It's never a good idea. Because the devil doesn't want just a little deception in your life so you can have a little fun. He wants it all. And he will use what you give him as a toehold in your life. You know, as a believer, you start messing around down the road of sin, then what you're doing is you're kind of giving up your integrity to the devil. You're giving up your integrity to this culture. You're, you're, you're actually turning away from the way you were taught from the scriptures to live a life of sobriety and cleanliness. And you go, wait a minute, Ed, why do you just pick those two things? I mean, it's a lot of there. It's never a good idea to put that thing in your pocket at the store instead of, instead of paying for it. It's never a good idea to lie. It's never a good idea not to tell the truth and to hold, it's never a good idea. Because the devil didn't come just to take a little bit of your life. And the devil didn't come just to take a portion of your life. And the devil doesn't come just to take a part of your life. He wants it all. I mean, take it from someone in my own personal experience. The first drink of alcohol I ever took was after my sixth grade graduation. I'm just a kid. And between sixth grade and seventh grade, Somebody's dad left a can of beer in the refrigerator. And three of us shared that. Three of us, three sixth graders, now we're big adults going into seventh grade. We shared that can of alcohol. I don't know what happened to the two other guys, but I'll tell you what happened to the third guy. It absolutely wrecked his life until he was 22 years old. And don't think for a moment by the time that guy turned 22 that it was just one can shared with three people. It was a progressive thing because I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't have any idea. Not only that, but I, was, I took that drink of alcohol against the way I was raised. I, I was raised to stay away from that stuff. The example of my parents was to stay away from that stuff. And you go, but Ed, there's so much freedom. I, I, I realize that. I exercise freedom too. But I also have to remember that my life speaks to other people. And what kind of message do I want to send? I have to remember that my enemy is real. Peter put it this way, that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter said that the devil is an adversary. So whatever he offers to you, he's like your enemy. He's like your enemy, making you lie to your parents, making you lie to your spouse, making you hide what's on the internet, making you, like, what, what kind of life is that? You see, as you, as you notice in verse 9, back in verse 9, listen, the life of the shepherd, you go in and out whenever you want. You live in the light. You get to go in and out. That's, those, are word, those are words of relationship. Freedom. I think of going in and out. Like, like that's complete trust. You know, my, my oldest son, Eddie, when he moved out and got married, he moved out into his own house. It was right up the street here, actually. 
He moved out into his own house. But when he left, he kept a key to our house. Not only did he carry a key to our house, but he also knew the code to the alarm and to the garage. And so what that meant was he could come and go as much as, much as he wanted, any time of the day or night. He could get into the house. He could come in the garage. He was not only given permission and access. Why? Because of our relationship. He could come anytime. We didn't take the key back from him. We didn't change the code. Why? Because he's our son. And our son and our, my sons and daughter, my wife, everyone, my family's always walking to my house. Why? They could come in and out. They, they could come in and out anytime they want. Because they're my kids. They, they, can, they have freedom. I would never call the cops on him. Well, actually, he was a cop, so I guess if I called the cops on him, I'd be calling him on him, and that wouldn't work. But we wouldn't call the cops on him. We wouldn't yell at him to get out of the house. He could come in and out. He didn't have to be deceptive. He didn't have to climb in a window. He didn't have to break in. He had a key. He he had the codes. And that's the kind of relationship we have with the Lord, unless you start messing around with sin. (laughs) And now you're hiding and you're in the shadows and you can't be honest anymore. And then you don't want to come in and out because you're not sure if you're going to get found out. And then if you started being dishonest, then you forgot what you said and when you said and how. And it's just, it's the life of destruction. And when God offers us eternal life, it says in verse 9 that he gives us salvation. If you come through him, he'll save you. And if you come through him, you have freedom to come in and out. And then finally in verse 9, if you come to him, you'll find pasture. You'll be taken care of. You'll be protected. You'll have safety and security. And here we are as believers, safe, secure, strong, messing around with compromise and deception. For what? Think about that, would you? As he comes, he's not only an adversary, but he seeks to destroy you. That's what Peter said. He wants to devour you. That's what lions do. They devour. They, they take you out. They see you as lunch. Think that the next time a temptation of sin is placed before you that's so attractive, you just want to try it out. You just want to see what you've been warned against. Jesus, the good shepherd, gives life. He came to give and not take. He, he came, and, and that's the mark of every true believer, generosity. And I don't just mean financially, like giving tithes and offerings. That generosity is far greater than that. Like the most generous people in our community should be followers of Jesus Christ. And the reason generosity comes is because we recognize how much God has given to us. We recognize that what, what life has been added to us. If you were born in a Christian home, that was a gift from God. If you were saved later in life and rescued, that was a gift from God. Like, what do we have, the Bible says, that wasn't given to us by God? And because of our appreciation, we don't hoard things, we're generous. We're generous with our time, we're generous with our talents, we're generous with our money. And anyone that has been generous can give you the testimony that you will never be able to outgive God. You'll never even touch, you'll, you'll never even get to the edge of the kind of generosity that God gives to the person that's generous, like the generous life is a free life where you're thinking of others more than yourself. Jesus came to give and not take, and that's the mark of his church. It says in verse 11 that he's the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 
The true servant of Jesus will give rather than take. He'll minister to rather than being ministered to. He's more interested in the welfare of the flock of God than in his own welfare and status. And then he adds another person now in verse 12. He adds a, a phrase here that we don't use too much in our everyday life. I mean, I didn't even hear, I didn't even know this was a word until I read the Bible. So notice verse 12. But he who is a hireling and not the shepherd. So you can just circle that word hireling. It has every, it has the intent of that word hire. It's someone that's paid to do a job. And they're not the owner. They're paid to do a job. And, and in some, I looked it up actually during first service. And one of the, I wanted to look a little bit deeper on that word. <clears throat> I looked it up and it actually even also refers to a mercenary that's just paid to do something and then they're done. They're just paid to do something. And you know, mercenaries would be a, a hired fighter for war. And they're just paid to do that. I'm, I'm for hire. I'm a soldier for hire. And that's the only, they don't have any vested interest in the people. They don't, they're just there for the money. Okay, so that's, that's hireling. So notice it says, he who is a hireling and not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. So a person who owns the sheep has a deeper desire for the sheep than someone that doesn't, he's saying. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And then verse 13 is, I love the simplicity of the Bible. I know the Bible has some things that are hard to understand, but most things are pretty easy to understand. And verse 13 is a pretty easy statement. It's one of those statements that go, oh, really? Listen, verse 13, Jesus says, the hireling flees because he's a hireling. (laughs) It's like, that's what hirelings do. Hirelings run away. And doesn't care about the sheep. That's a hireling runs away leaves the flock vulnerable and doesn't care. You go, Ed, how can you say that? How do you know that? Because they ran away. They were there to be, even they were paid to take care of and the money wasn't a big enough motive because only love will lead a person to lay down their life, not money. Money is a poor motivator and money is a very temporary motivator. Love is the highest level of motive that you and I could ever have in serving God. Love will cause you to do things that you would never do otherwise. I think of the love of a mother, of a newborn baby. I think of, I, I think of in the Bible where love would cause Jacob to work for years and years and years. And they just seem like days. Love is a great motivator. So much so, notice in John chapter 15, in verse 13, it says... Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. So it's not just a shepherd, not just a pastor, not just in conflict conflict with a hireling. Greater love is reflected in laying down your life. And of course, you're listening to me right now. Very few of us have ever been asked to lay down our physical life on behalf of someone else. But day by day, there's that laying down of our life personally, giving, serving, denying ourselves, taking up the cross, following Jesus, laying out our lives, like Paul said, like a being poured out like a sacrifice on the service of your faith. Jesus is a good shepherd. He's not a hireling. And there's a big difference between a shepherd and a hireling. The shepherd loves the sheep. The hireling loves himself. 
The hireling lacks commitment and concern. At the slightest sight of danger or difficulty, the hiring looks out for himself and ultimately chooses to save himself, leaving the flock vulnerable. Ultimately choosing to watch out for himself, to choose the path that's easier for himself, not concerned with the flock. But Jesus, the good shepherd, he's not only concerned for the flock, but will go down first. And I was thinking about this crisis because we've adopted some language. I mean, we've had it around this church for a while, but the crisis has brought it to the forefront. And it's like, you know, we're going to succeed together or we're going to go down together. Like we're in this together. There's no doubt about it. We are in this together as the body of Christ. We're experiencing it differently. We're feeling it differently, but we're in this together. And so we would talk about, hey, we're going to go, we're going to succeed together or we're going to go down together. And that sounds noble and that sounds encouraging, but Jesus takes it one step further. Jesus would say this. He would say this. No, we don't go down together. I go down first. Before any of you, I go down first so you don't have to go down. And we're like, wow. That, that's the kind of motive, that's the kind of love that moves a person. What do you mean? We're, well, no, we'll go down with you. And that was Peter's heart. He says, oh, no, no, no. You know, I'll protect you, Jesus. I will do this. I'll go. No, 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 Peter. No, I'm going down first. I'm going down first. That's great love. I believe even today God is looking for shepherds for his people. He's looking for men and women with shepherd pastor's hearts that he places in leadership to love and protect the flock, to love and protect his church. God is not looking for hirelings. As a matter of fact, you don't need to look very hard for hirelings. Hirelings flee and run away at the slightest danger or difficulty. Hirelings aren't protecting the flock. They leave them vulnerable. God's not looking for hirelings. In the ministry, For themselves, he's looking for men and women with a shepherd's heart to care and minister for his sheep. It's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. That's why it's a calling and it's not a profession. That's why we're not professionals. We're just under shepherds that had this call of God placed upon our lives and our family's lives. And I used to tell my kids the same thing. I said, this calling is for us. I know know that you're going to find your own personal calling as you grow up. But for our family, this is what God wants our family to do. And I know you didn't get get to choose what family you were born in, but God chose what family you were born in. And he knew. He knew what he wanted to do with your life. He knew the path that he wanted to take you. He knew where he wanted to lead you. And as he develops that calling in your life or where he's going to place you, he's going to do so under the context of the calling of your family. And you're in the family you're in by the will of God. You're in the family you're in by the will of God. We, I believe God is looking for men and women not interested in positions, but interested in people. I think he's looking for people that aren't losing sleep over titles, but over the terrible effects of sin. And unfortunately, there are just a lot of hirelings in churches today. You know, part of the interview process that I have when someone comes on and begins to take up the tithes and offerings to help support their family, one of the questions I ask is, hey, let's talk about a pastor's heart. What's a pastor's heart? And if somebody coming on as a pastor, that's a pretty predictable question, but someone that's just gonna answer the phones, they're like, what do you mean, pastor's heart? 
what, what, pastor's hard, I'm just going to answer the phones. Yeah, you're going to answer the phones. Yeah, exactly, you're going to answer the phones. So tell me about, about a pastor's heart. And so I'm going to give you the answer ahead of time. If you ever happen to be in an interview, I'm going to give you the answer I'm looking for. I'm looking for the word care. Because however you describe a pastor, however you describe a pastor's heart, you have to care. Not for yourself, but for others. And so care is the key word. And so it's, you know, answering the phone in a church is different than answering a phone at a dentist office. It's different. And now you need a pastor, as a believer, you want to have a pastor's heart in the dentist office. But when people are calling the dentist office, they're saying, oh, I have cavities. Oh, I broke a tooth. Oh, I don't like dentist appointments. Oh, actually, that's just me when I call. But that's, uh, you're, it's a different type of call. When people call here, hey, my life is a wreck. My wife just left me. I'm in jail. I don't know what to do. I want to give my life to the Lord. And if you don't care, oh, wait a minute, let me just put you into voicemail. Like, go do that at a doctor's office. If we're just going to use voicemail, we don't need a person to do it. No, we want a person there that has a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. When you're changing a light bulb, you need to be sensitive enough when you're changing a light bulb and somebody's knocking on the door desperate to talk to somebody and be prayed for. Like, you have to care. If you don't care, you could be the best person putting in light bulbs, but you don't belong in the church. Uh, well, I'd rather change the light bulbs myself than to be surrounded with people that don't care. Because God has laid out, Jesus says this, if you're a hireling, you're not going to care. You're going to run away when things get hard. Jesus says, no. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. We know that he cares. And as the Father knows me, verse 15, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. How many times does Jesus need to say what a shepherd does? I lay down my life for the sheep. There is cost, there is sacrifice. Jesus taught us in Luke's gospel about counting the cost. There is a cost involved serving the Lord, period. And there's a temptation to run away when things get hard. That could be a whole different Bible study from this section. There's always the temptation to care for myself more than others. And I, even as a pastor, having done this for many years, that temptation is always before me. It's always knocking on the door. My comfort and ease compared to the calling of God upon my life. Because it's not easy for anyone that enlists to serve the Lord in any area of life. And unfortunately, there are lots of hirelings in the church. It's not for me to understand their motives, but I can say that it grieves me to see people in leadership so easily give up. To see some who don't care about the flock, who use the church, to see others who use the church for their own benefit, to build up their own ego, to see many others take advantage of people and draw people after themselves, to see others not speak about sin or warn against false teaching because a shepherd warns and protects and serves and cares. So much so, notice what Jesus says as we close in verse 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, we looked at this last time, but if you don't know already, circle the phrase other sheep and write next to it Gentiles. 
Jesus is looking at the religious rulers and saying, you know what, God's will has all, and he could even say this, my will has always been that you're a light to the world. That it was God's intention to use the Israelites, the Jewish people, to be a light to all the nations around her. The Old Testament predicted that other nations would come to the light that Israel would show, but that they had failed to become this light. Instead, they became exclusive not caring about the lost. But the heart of Jesus is, wait a minute, there are other sheep. And my question to you today is, do you see the other sheep? Do you see other sheep? Do you see the lost and the broken? It's tough to see through sin and depravity at times and difficulty. But can you see the Lord working and drawing people to himself? Can you see God working in your family with the gospel flowing through your life? Do you care about others? Do you care about the lost? Think about this crisis for a second, please. Think about it, this corona, COVID, all of this that we've been in. Are you more concerned about not meeting in a building, shaking your fist at the government, than the lost? Consider that. Because God will let us meet in a building again. And we don't need to shake our, gov- our fist at the government. The church will always thrive. It doesn't matter what. A trip to China would show you that the underground church, as hard as it is, is thriving. A trip to South Korea would show you that right under the shadow of North Korea, did, I don't know if you guys knew this, but South Korea are sending missionaries to the United States of America. At least they were before travel was shut down. Like, like if, if the, the issues of your life don't involve the lost, then what's the point? Jesus says, there's a whole other fold that I'm going to bring in. Remember, there are three groups of the, on the earth today, Jews, Gentiles, and the church. Our new identity is in Christ. Like we're not identified by what country we came from or what. Our first identity is citizens of heaven. We're in Christ. We are in the church. Then we have citizen of our country, of our, where we were born, our city, and that such. But our identity is in Christ. And if you don't see the other sheep, then perhaps you need to be praying for a pastor's heart, a shepherd's heart. It's not a prayer that you would be a pastor. I'm not encouraging that. God will do that work in you. I'm not even asking you to pray that you'd pastor a church or be on some function of pastoral ministry, I'm asking you that you would pray for the heart of a pastor, that the sheep would have the shepherd's heart. Because that's what happens. When you hear the voice, remember everyone that's perfectly trained will what? Be like his master. So if you're hearing the shepherd's voice, then you're gonna get the shepherd's heart. And when you have the shepherd's heart, you're gonna care about the lost. You're actually gonna care, you're gonna have greater love because there's no greater love than to lay down your life. You're gonna go down first you're not going to go down necessarily together. You're going to go first. So you're going to be up front. And you're going to protect the flock. And, and you're going to be in a place where, you know what? You're right. The church, our church, that church, this church, we need more pastors and shepherds, not hirelings. We don't want to run away at the first hint of difficulty. Let me share this last verse with you. And then I want to invite some of you into a relationship. Would you turn uh, over to Hebrews chapter 10? Some of you, you're going to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ in just a few moments. But I've been meditating on this verse lately. 
It's a, it's, we've already studied it uh, in, in our study in Hebrews, but would you go to Hebrews chapter 10? It's just been ministering to my heart recently as I've been asking the Lord, what, what do I, I've been having things on my mind, I've been in my prayer life. I've just been like, this is, anyway, I've been praying a lot and the Lord gave me this answer. And, and he gave me in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. And I think it's an answer for some of you that have also been asking. He says, you have need of endurance. That, that hupomone is the Greek. That ability to stand up under the weight. You want to run away. You want to go in another direction. You want to quit. And God says, no. What you have need of is endurance. Why? Number two, so that you can do the will of God. Isn't that what your heart is anyway? I just want to do the will of God. How can I do the will of God? Endurance. Where does endurance come from? It doesn't come from biting your tongue and working out and getting strong. Endurance is an inward work of the Holy Spirit. You have need of endurance. Why? So that you can do the will of God. And then notice number three, so you can receive the promise. And that's what chapter 11, this hall of faith, is all these men and women living by faith never never received the promise on earth. They're enjoying it now, but they never got it on earth. They kept living for that city whose builder and maker is God. They had the eternal perspective. They had the heart of Jesus even before Messiah came on the scene. God wants you to have a shepherd's heart to endure, not to quit. Don't run away. Don't leave the flock vulnerable. Maybe this is a word to someone that's contemplating divorce. Don't leave the flock vulnerable. Work, get out. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Maybe today you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up as we have a final song, but I wanna invite you that have never surrendered your life to the shepherd you never considered yourself a sheep today to do just that that you'll repent of your sins and you'll surrender your life to Jesus Christ so today if that's you I want you to pray with me because the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus I mean you confess him say Jesus Christ you're the Lord of my life and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Imagine that. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. That's what marks him different than any other religious ruler ever that came or ever will come. Like this is uh, significant, doesn't even seem like a big enough word to use. This is so significant that Jesus Christ, he taught, he died, and then he rose again. He's alive right now. The power of his resurrection. I mean, he was seen by people after he rose again from the dead. Like their people saw him. His closest friends, like out of the 11, there were 12 that were with him, one left. So there's 11 after that. Out of the 11, 10 of them died what's known as a martyr's death. One they tried to kill and he ended up not dying by a martyr's death, but they all died. And can you imagine if the resurrection of Jesus was fake and it wasn't real, that at least one of them would have said, oh, never mind, my life is more valuable to me, and it's not real, we made it up, we made it up, we made it up, we hid the body, it's not true. But they didn't. As a matter of fact, one of those witnesses, one of those guys that I witnessed, was also a hand witness, because he was able to put his hand in the wound. 
God gave, Jesus gave him the opportunity to touch the wounds from the crucifixion. Man, the love of God drawing you into a relationship with him. So pray with me. You could talk directly to God. You ready? You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus is my Lord and I want to follow him all the days of my life. I believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again. And I'm turning my life away from my sinful past and deciding to follow him from this day forward. If you prayed that, I know it's simple enough, but it's really not simple. Because the prayer doesn't save you. Only God saves. And that's not simple. How God changes a person from the inside out is a mystery. But he does, time and time again. Even that punk kid that took his first drink of alcohol as a 12-year-old, he can reach by the time he's 22. An alcoholic and a drug abuser and a wife abuser. And on and on we could go, God can even reach a guy like that. Change his life completely around. He's still doing that. You don't have to be as bad as me or the next guy. You could just be one of those men or women that think you're good but really never live for God. What a miserable life to know about God and not live for him. It's misery. You're playing into the devil. It's like, well, you know, I was raised but I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, you know, God gives you the freedom. But I'm going to tell you right now, your own thing is going to wreck you. And we'll be here when you're ready to get right, when you're ready to come home, when you're ready to ask for help. We absolutely, somebody with a pastor's heart will answer the phone here one of the pastors will reach out to you that has a pastor. Like, we'll be here, but why go that way? I don't understand. Just take my word for it. It'll wreck you. Sin will destroy you. It's not just my opinion. It's the Bible says so. If you responded to the gospel, we would normally invite you up and have you pick up one of these packets, but we can't do that right now. So I'm going to invite you to go to our website instead, calvaryco.church. Calvaryco stands for Colorado.church. Down at the bottom, if you scroll down, it's all our How to, new, how to Know God uh, info, and this is available to print out and to use, so please take advantage of it. Get it and uh, print it out. And there's also a thing to let us know. Maybe you're watching it. There's a thing that says you can raise your hand. Click that. Let us connect with you. Let us um, reach out to you and print it out. Let us help you walk through, and there's a lot of things you can do here, classes and stuff that we can help you follow God. You can also text us. You can text us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can text us your prayer requests. You can text us your um, fact that you're following God. Uh, you can use this number. You ready? 720-336-0897. Don't be discouraged if you don't get an answer right away. Every single one is seen. Every single one is prayed over. And every single one is passed on to our prayer team. So you don't worry about the timing of it all. You just be faithful to let us know and we'll be faithful to pray for you. It's all in the timing of God. And we learn in Daniel, when you pray, immediately it goes right into the presence of God. Even if the answer comes later, immediately your prayers before the presence of God. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 
888-888-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.